Joan of Arc was an ordinary peasant girl that changed the course of the Hundred Years' War, a teenager that became the figurehead of the French army. But who was she really? This is the story of the Maid of Orleans, her faith, her military role, capture, and eventual death. Welcome to Medieval Madness. War. Jeanne d'Arc was born around the year 1412, and from her birth she knew nothing but war. Her father was a tenant farmer in the village of Domremy in the northeast of France. Although Joan was illiterate, her mother Isabella Rome was very pious and instilled in her a profound love for the Catholic Church and its beliefs. Joan's homeland of France had been involved in civil war since the beginning of the 15th century, between the Burgundians and the Armagnacs. King Charles VI of France suffered from intermittent bouts of mental illness, sometimes he was so ill that he was unable to rule, believing himself to be made of glass. His brother Louis, the Duke of Orléans, and his cousin John, the fearless Duke of Burgundy, clashed over the regency, with both men wanting to take power for themselves. This culminated with the assassination of the Duke of Orléans in November 1407. He was brutally stabbed to death by 15 men on the orders of the Duke of Burgundy and this started the Civil War. Those who supported the Duke of Burgundy became known as the Burgundians. Those who followed Charles of Orléans, who had succeeded his father as Duke, became known as the Armanacs. Charles was just 13 when his father was murdered and was guided by his father-in-law, the Count of Armagnac. In the meantime, the Hundred Years' War had been raging between France and England since 1337, the cause being a dispute over who should inherit the French throne. After his success at the Battle of Agincourt, King Henry V of England married the French daughter of King Charles the Mad and was made his heir. This disinherited the French crown prince, the Dauphin Charles VII, who was championed by the Armanacs. Henry reinforced his authority in France by his association with the Duke of Burgundy, who held power in Paris and Reims. Humble Beginnings The village that Joan grew up in was an Armagnac region surrounded by Burgundians. The villagers had to pay a local warden for protection against the Burgundians, but there were still regular raids in the area. Joan, her parents, and siblings would have to flee to the walled city of Neufchâteau whenever a raid was about to begin. In 1428, the downfall of France was imminent and fresh forces were sent from England to wipe out what was left of a dwindling resistance. The fate of Charles VII looked grim, but his deliverance was to come from the most surprising place. Joan was a particularly pious child, she would take offerings to the Virgin Mary at church and regularly attended confession. She was just 13 when she began to hear voices, which she believed were sent from God. Standing in her garden, a bright shaft of light beamed down on her from above, and she heard the words, Be a good girl, Joan, and pious. Great things are expected of you. The voice returned on two more occasions, and Joan became convinced that it was the Archangel Michael who was speaking to her. The Archangel told her that Saint Margaret and Saint Catherine would come to her and guide her, and she must follow their counsel. These two saints were celebrated martyrs who had both been beheaded for their refusal to marry non-Catholics. Joan took a vow of chastity, and although her father arranged a marriage for her at the age of 16, Joan convinced the local court that she should not be forced to go ahead with it. The Archangel told Joan that France was in a pitiful state, and that she needed to help rescue her country and restore its rightful king. As a reward, she would be led into paradise. 
God's Messenger. Guided by the voices in May of 1428, Joan travelled from her village of Domremy to Vaucalaire, which was a nearby stronghold and loyal to the Dauphin Charles. She saw the captain of the small castle there, Robert de Baudricourt, and asked him for permission to see Charles. He sent the 16-year-old back home and insisted that her father should give her a good beating. But determined, Joan returned again in January 1429. This time, the people got behind her cause, partly due to the fact that a prophecy had foretold a virgin would save France. Joan told Baudricourt that, quote, God has commanded me. You must send me to the Dauphin. He will give me soldiers and I will rescue the city of Orleans. Then I will take him to Reims to be anointed. This time he was persuaded and agreed that she should see the Dauphin at Chinon, where court was being held. On leaving, Joan cropped her hair short and dressed in male clothing as a disguise because she was to travel across enemy territory. She was accompanied by six men-at-arms who swore a pledge to protect her. The journey took 11 days in the cold, wet winter, sometimes sleeping on the ground or in stables with the area teeming with enemies. But on the 6th of March, 1429, Joan and her guardians reached the Dauphin Charles. Once at Chinon, it took Charles two days to grant Joan an audience. When she was at last allowed into the castle, Charles tested her by hiding himself amongst his courtiers. But Joan was quick to recognise him. With great self-belief, she told him that she had been sent by God, that she wanted to go into battle against the English and retake Orleans, so that Charles could be crowned at Reims. Unable to accept the word of a teenage peasant girl, Charles had Joan examined by an eminent group of theologians. She was sent to Poitiers for three weeks for further questioning. It was decided that Joan was a pious Catholic, and that in the view of the gravity of the times, with Orleans already under siege from the English, the Dauphin should go ahead and let her prove herself. Joan was given an unadorned suit of armour, horses and an escort of several military men, including her brothers Pierre and Jean. Her standard was 3 feet wide, 12 feet long, and painted with an image of Christ. She said her sword would be found in the church of St. Catherine de Fierbois and would be decorated with five crosses. The weapon was actually found there in a long-forgotten grave, and was just how she described it. This event only added to Joan's mystique. Orleans. It was said that as the army came towards Orleans, she was at the head of the supply column, but the wind was blowing against the boats. As Joan appeared, the wind immediately changed direction. Joan didn't make military decisions, there were already plenty of experienced soldiers in the Dauphin's army. Her purpose was as a figurehead, to ride at the head of the troops and boost morale. The city had been besieged by the English for over six months when Joan arrived at the head of the army in April 1429. She led several attacks against the English Burgundians and forced them to retreat across the Loire River. Joan was wounded but continued on with her holy mission anyway. It was a miraculous victory, and Joan's reputation now spread across France. Coronation Together with her army, they escorted Charles across occupied territory to Reims, reconquering towns along the route. The royal army reached the cathedral, and the crowning of Charles VII took place on July the 17th, 1429. Joan stood near the altar with her banner as the blessings took place. She later knelt before Charles and called him her king. Her mission had been fulfilled. But what about Paris? Joan wanted to press on, and she had become the idol of the French. A fact that was not lost on Georges de la Tremouille, Charles' favourite at court. He warned the newly crowned king that Joan was becoming too powerful. 
Nevertheless, Joan went off to fight the Burgundians in the Siege of Paris and promptly failed, returning to court wounded. Now sidelined by King Charles, she was sent there to liberate a local castle which was still in Burgundian hands. But again, she failed. She was becoming an embarrassment to the king. Joan's failure not only undermined her own role as God's representative, but it also undermined his own claim as being supported by God. In what was a treasonable offence, Joan went off without Charles's knowledge to defend the town of Compiègne, where she was unseated from her horse and captured by the captain of a Burgundian company. Charles, who was in the process of agreeing a truce with the Duke of Burgundy, made no attempts to either save or ransom Joan. She was handed over to the English for a payment of 10,000 francs. Which. Although her crimes were really against the English monarchy, Joan was taken to be tried before a church court as a heretic. The theologists at the University of Paris believed that her beliefs were not acceptable. Really, she was a threat to the hierarchy of the church itself. What good was a priest or a bishop if you could speak to God directly through visions? And if it was proven that Joan was false, then Charles' claim to the throne could also be discredited. In just one month, Joan was interrogated over a dozen times and made to answer to 70 charges, one of which was cross-dressing. It was claimed that she had, quote, "...utterly disregarded what was honourable in the female sex, forgot all female decency, and disgracefully put on the clothing of the male sex, a striking and vile monstrosity." The verdict was only going to go one way, and all 27 members of the tribunal found her guilty. Of course, it was convenient for the English that Joan's guilt called Charles' claim to the throne into question, on the excuse that he owed his coronation to a witch and a heretic. As for the king, he did nothing to help Joan throughout the trial. He didn't even arrange for a ransom or ask for the Pope to intervene. He wanted nothing to do with anything that might invalidate his reign. On May the 30th, 1431, Joan was burned at the stake at the old marketplace in Rouen. She was no more than 19 years old. She asked a Dominican who attended her to hold a crucifix high up so that she could see it at all times, and intone the assurance of salvation loudly so that she could hear it despite the noise of the flames. Those that witnessed the execution agreed that Joan died as a faithful Christian. What was left of her was thrown into the River Seine to stop her remains from becoming relics. Saint Joan After her death, her fame only grew. The city of Orléans invited her parents to live there, bestowing them with a pension, and a festival is still held there in her honour every year. Joan's self-belief had helped to turn the tide in the Hundred Years' War. The English never got any further south than Orléans. Charles went on to reconcile with his enemies, reconquer Normandy, and reunite France. Her strength of character, commitment, and incentive, when she was still just a teenager, make Joan of Arc one of the most interesting women in medieval history. She was canonised in 1920 by Pope Benedict XV, and declared a patron saint of France two years later. Thank you for watching this episode of Medieval Madness. Please do subscribe if you're enjoying these videos, and I'll see you next Friday for another one. Cheers!